everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. I'm Christy. I'm Sam. I'm Diana. Today we're going to get into how to find a therapist, um, because for a lot of us it can be really daunting. You know, you, you, you finally gather up that motivation, the courage to reach out to someone, and sometimes you reach out and you don't even get a response. So I think like that's one thing that does happen that I've heard, you know, and I've had experience with myself, just that okay, I'm ready. And then crickets, like, okay, well, I guess nobody is going to get back to me. That's such a tough one. That's one thing that I've definitely heard from a lot of people of, oh, I emailed so many people that I found online and you're the first person who's gotten back to me. It's kind of interesting. I, it makes me wonder a little bit about other people's protocols around responding to prospective clients, but you know, I can imagine if it's your first time or any time looking for a therapist, not hearing back from any of the people you reach out to, that, that could be really discouraging. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of us look on websites before we ever reach out. And so when we've actually picked someone to reach out to and then we hear nothing, it can be really discouraging. A lot of therapists now don't have a ton of space and that can also be really discouraging. Like you're finding all of these people and even if they are responding that they're not available or they're not taking clients. I guess that could be the first tip, which is expect that you're going to reach out to a lot of people and you might not even get to the first consult with some of them. And that's just part of the process. Yeah. And I definitely think remembering that You know, I know I can be a little bit like this where I get an idea in my head and I get it kind of stuck and I might feel like, oh, I found the perfect person. This is going to be the person that's going to meet all my therapeutic needs and how it can be really disappointing if that person is full or they don't get back to you or for whatever reason on the consult, you realize it doesn't feel like the best fit. I think keeping kind of an open mind around having ideas about what you might be interested in, but also being willing to cast a little bit of a wide net and chat with different people and let yourself be surprised over maybe a therapist that didn't list all the things that you were interested in working on, but you chat with them on the phone and you feel like, oh, this person actually has a really good vibe. And I feel like I could trust them and we get along with each other. Yeah. There's so much more than the few photos we might see of a therapist online or whatever they're checking off on psych today that I think more people are including video in their profile to get a sense of what someone actually feels like. But so much of it is really being on the phone at the very beginning. And then maybe if it feels good enough, moving into an intake to get actually that experience of like, if you're meeting them in person or even virtually to have more time, but we can make so many assumptions about what a therapist seems like or feels like just based on like one photo or what their website looks like too. And recalling a time when, you know, a lot of therapists were not even on their own websites and, you know, Sometimes it was just like a number in a directory or something like that, right? And I think technology has changed so quickly in the last like five to 10 years. And with the pandemic, I think a lot of therapists realized that they needed to make some updates and things like that. But, you know, a lot of people looking for therapists right now are so used to everything being really polished and available online. And so like, I think therapy could be an industry where some people have, you know, like it's just not, (laughs) not as tech oriented um, as a lot of other industries. And so like, that can be that first impression of like, this person doesn't even have a website. Like what kind of therapist is this? And I think that's Mm -hmm. actually one thing to keep in mind. Like a lot of the old school therapists are not used to having websites and they're used to getting their clients through referrals and doing good work. And so like, I think that's just something to keep in mind as well. 
<laughs> yeah, Diana, that's actually such a great point because it makes me think about my own therapist who has been practicing for probably over 40 years. So, you know, she's older, she's really experienced and she was practicing before the rise of the internet. And she had a page on psychology today, but she doesn't have a website and she didn't have an email to contact her. And I read a little bit about her and I just had to kind of call her and chat with her on the phone and do it the old fashioned way. But I love our work together. I've been working with her for many years now. And so I think that's such a good point around certain things that maybe might feel like, oh, is this person legitimate? Or I don't know, like still being open, especially if it's an older therapist, knowing that those therapists have a ton of experience and can do really, really great work, even if they're a little bit more old school. What would you all suggest for someone who might be looking for the very first time of where to even start? I think the first thing to figure out is what is my budget? And then what am I going to be paying with? Am I going to be staying in network with my therapist? Do I have out of network benefits where I can apply for reimbursement? Or am I going to be paying out of pocket? Because I think depending on those things, it might really change the way in which you're going to start the search. If you want to stay in network with somebody and that feels like the only kind of financially viable option for you, which is totally understandable, you might want to look through your insurance provider's online directory and see who is listed as accepting patients. Or if you go on certain directory websites, you can filter out by your insurance so that you're only going to be getting therapists or providers who are in your insurance network. I think that's a good point because it can be really disappointing to find someone that you think is, is your therapist and only to realize afterwards that they don't accept your insurance if that's what your budget restricts you to. And I know another thing that can be disappointing is that some therapists do start out taking insurance and then later on they stop accepting insurance, but the insurance directories are not regularly updated. So sometimes you might still see some of these therapists listed as in network. And I know that recently there've just been more resources for in network therapists like Headway. And I'm just listing some of these that I've heard of and not necessarily had experience with, but Headway. And then I think there's another one called withalma.com. Um, I'm sure there's a few others that you can think of, but those are websites that list according to networks, like insurance networks. So you will only find therapists that are in certain insurance networks, which could be helpful if you're just wanting to start off knowing that these are all therapists that you can use your insurance with. And I think the next kind of piece of it is a lot of people looking for therapists with specific identity memberships, whether they're like matching or at least kind of giving the client the impression that if I brought this part of myself to the therapist, they would be able to either handle it or have some expertise or at least be affirming and compassionate in that space. And I think we're seeing a lot more resources and directories, including ours that are more identity-based and Mm -hmm. kind of looking to make it a little easier for people who are looking specifically for an Asian identified or an LGBTQ affirming therapist, because sometimes it's really hard to understand where someone falls or their in their approach or their values based off of like insurance directories. Or I think more and more clients are wanting to see the political views too of their therapist. So like getting a sense of what is most important for you and if those values kind of are prioritized above other things, like maybe if your budget can have a wider range, if you really need to see someone who can affirm some part of your identity. I'm also thinking about 
how if you do have out-of-network benefits with your insurance and you can go to a therapist out-of-network, you will find a lot more options. I mean, anyway, in New York City, that is, um, just because it is very common for therapists to not be in network with insurances here, especially if they have a specialty, if they work with a specific community of people. And so I think that's just something to know about how things are today. I think that a lot of people sometimes even have out-of-network benefits, but they, for many, many reasons, a lot of times the insurance companies making it kind of difficult to know how to navigate or use it. People feel really intimidated by that process, which is fair because sometimes it can take energy. It can take some phone calls to figure out exactly what your plan is. But Diana, I think that's really important to acknowledge that if you are willing to put in a little bit more of that extra energy or push you will widen your options so much as far as who you're able to work with. It effectively means that you're able to work with whoever you want because any therapist will be able to help you apply for your out-of-network benefits every month. For folks who don't know, how come a lot of therapists aren't paneled with insurances? That's a good question. (laughs) I mean, I can just offer my two cents. I mean, the process is long, complicated. And, you know, I think for a lot of therapists, like the idea of having an insurance company involved in the care of a client, you know, because the insurance companies have rights. If you're paneled with them as a therapist, they can audit your records. They also require you as a therapist to diagnose your client. So there's, there's definitely just some privacy concerns for some therapists who don't want to have to feel beholden to an insurance company. That's on one end of things. And Also, just um, in terms of reimbursement, because insurance companies set those reimbursement rates for therapists. And, you know, as someone who used to take insurance myself, I can tell you that those rates are not great in in New York. Um, They vary from state to state and city to city, but definitely in New York City, given the high cost of living, it it was not in alignment, I think, for a lot of uh, therapists who are living in New York City. So that's just my own experience. Yeah, I think that's a big consideration for a lot of people is the compensation, is the ways in which the process can be really held up. Um, Like I've heard stories from therapists around, you know, I've been working with a client for years in network, insurance is always reimbursed. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they decide, you know, this person is no longer eligible for these services. And so you might have continued to provide that person with 10 weeks of sessions. But now the insurance company is refusing to pay you their part of any of it. So that's a big financial loss for that person. You know, a lot of work that I'm sure if they're still working with that client, they feel like that person needs. So I think that can be the tough part of the ways of how it can interfere a lot of times with what the clinician feels is the most appropriate and effective care because the insurance company might not think so for whatever reason. And then how that can impact, you know, our business and wanting to feel like we have practices that are financially sustainable for ourselves. So then I'm, I'm curious when people do reach out or they do get this response over email, what do you imagine like the helpful cues could be of when we're finding a good fit or if we have a good enough feeling about someone on the phone? I'll share a little bit, I guess, about like two experiences of a therapist that I worked with, even though it didn't feel right on the phone. And then I ended up later regretting it. <laughs> we'll share the story. And then how different it feels when you find a therapist that you actually click with. So 
when I had first moved to New York and left a therapist that I had really appreciated and trusted and Washington DC, the city I'd been living in before, it felt really difficult for me to try to find a person. And I was trying to stay in network for financial reasons. And so I found someone through um, my insurance's website. And in speaking to her on the phone, she said some of the right things when I was sharing with her what I wanted to work on, but in some ways it did kind of feel like she wasn't fully hearing me. And it's difficult to put my finger on exactly what, but sometimes like the word she would use wouldn't be the exact word that I had said. And it would have like a little bit of a different meaning. These are all kind of just my experience or opinions too. But the idea of going back into talking to more people on the phone, emailing more people, trying to see who had availability, it felt overwhelming that I felt like, well, this is the first person that's responded to me. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I worked with that person probably only for two or three sessions because At some point during our work, we got to a point where I was talking about my identity being biracial Asian and how that impacted me. And she had shared that to her being Asian was the same as being white. And I should also share that this was a white provider Mm. and that felt so invalidating. I never went back. We terminated. It just felt really clear that she couldn't fully understand me. But I think that was a real lesson in terms of me feeling like, I need this now and I want it and this person is available. So I should just do it versus maybe putting in a little bit more time and energy to try to find somebody who really did feel like they were the right fit or maybe understood me a little bit better, which then the next time I went to find a therapist, I definitely chatted with more people. I think I maybe did like four calls or so before deciding who I felt like I vibed with the best or who felt like they understood me or were hearing me the best. I think that's a great point. I was just thinking in terms of dating or something like you might have this feeling of comfort with someone in in the beginning, but as you get a little bit deeper, you realize that maybe there's something that's not clicking and just to honor it. If it doesn't feel like you want to continue with someone to let yourself not continue with that person and not to let that set you back because I know the process is, is hard, but finding the right fit therapist really makes a difference. Yeah, Diana, I like that you brought in the analogy of dating, because I think that's one that comes up a lot. You know, the therapeutic relationship is an intimate and vulnerable one. And you open up about a lot of stuff and you share a lot of deep parts of yourself with this person. And so in some ways, it is such an apt analogy of like, yeah, you want to make sure that feels like a little bit of chemistry, but that it also is normal as you deepen that relationship for whatever reason to sometimes feel like it's not the right fit. And that's okay. Um, but I think a, a really important thing too, that kind of also speaks to the dating aspect is just people I think can get kind of stuck on wanting to find people that meet all of their niches or the exact things that they want to work on. And that's what feels so important when in my experience as a therapist, so much of the work is relational. It's about how us two people are relating to each other in the room and how comfortable that person feels telling me things you know, some working and understanding knowledge of what they're going through can be helpful, but ultimately it's not the most important thing all the time. I think it's really important that you talk with them for a little bit first so that you can get a sense of how it feels to to be with them. And then to even go ahead and just meet if you feel like the connection is good enough, like on a date, go ahead and schedule the intake. And sometimes good enough is good enough and see how it really feels when you get to spend a more extended period of time with that person and telling them about what you're going through. 
I appreciate this piece of good enough is good enough and honoring what you're feeling and what Diana shared too, because no one else is going to really be able to know who is a good therapist for you aside from yourself, because your needs can vary different times, depending on like when or what part of your life you're seeking therapy. And sometimes it can be really beneficial to bring up those iffy parts. If you're feeling like the therapist is driving with you for to some extent, but maybe you felt like they misunderstood something really critical about who you are, or something was kind of off in one of the first few sessions that it could be so valuable to bring that in and process it with the therapist and not necessarily just stop working with them just because one part doesn't feel like it's working if there's enough that feels good. A lot of those times, even on the therapist end, that those can be really important kind of knots to try to untangle or at least to pull at because the healing or the untangling of that also happens in relationship. I completely agree with that. And I think that's really hard because there's resistance, there's discomfort. And yet I've had similar experiences too, where when we're able to get through some sort of like rupture or challenge, there's this like understanding on the other side of things and a realization that oh, there's another way to, to, to work through this. Like we can work through it instead of just ending or not discussing it, right? And I think that's one of the healing aspects of therapy is being able to choose differently and to learn a new skill and and handling an issue. For people who there are financial barriers to seeking therapy, you know, maybe you don't have insurance, maybe you don't have network benefits. There's something available to you called sliding scale, which almost all therapists in private practice and many clinics, group practices offer to prospective clients where they will be willing to slide their fees down on a need basis. So depending on your income and various other financial factors, know that that's something you can always bring up and ask for. Every therapist I know offers some form of sliding scale and Maybe sometimes even bringing it up in your initial email or phone call can be really, really helpful. And there are also many, many more initiatives cropping up to help people seek therapy. One that pops into my head immediately is Loveland Foundation. Again, they reimburse services and it's specifically for Black folks to utilize, um, to seek therapy services, oftentimes through Black providers who they sense they will understand the identity, many of the experiences that people are going through. We recently collaborated with an organization for Asian Americans and Pacific Islander and South Asian Americans called Sora Over Hate, which does a similar thing where it'll cover the cost of a number of sessions um, for you to seek therapy as an APISA identified person with an APISA identified therapist. Those are great. I'll include a bunch of these links in the description or the notes so that people can look it up too. Yeah, maybe if people are interested and found this helpful or unhelpful, if we didn't answer certain questions that you had, email us and maybe we can do a part two Q&A about specific questions some of our listeners might have. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.